Warning, the Dub Talk podcast contains language that may not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Also, there's always the possibility that spoilers for an anime series may occur, so be careful in case there's a series you haven't completed yet. Also, we're going to talk about Tanya the Evil tonight. No, not Tanya from Mortal Kombat. That bitch is evil in her own right. Anyway, prepare to encounter this demonic little girl. This case of when Moe goes wrong on the battlefield and show no mercy for her. And on that note, enjoy the show. Hello there everybody and welcome to Dub Talk. This is the show where a group of anime otakus get together and talk about a recent simuldub announcement or review the dub of a series that was recently released on Blu-ray and DVD. My name is Amal, aka Jamstar, and tonight I'm in charge of hosting to combat another one of Funimation's dubs for the winter season. And joining me tonight in battle are my otaku brothers in arms. My first guest tonight is the host of First Frames, 10 Frames Per Second, and Voice Actor Shoutouts. Please give a round of a hand to Western Cartoon Aficionado and Resident Punching Bag Noah Clue. Sir, yes sir, I will stand here against the firing squad and take all the bullets for you. I love you sir. Salute! <laughs> okay, next up we have the owner of Animation Infinity. He's an occasional reviewer for the fandom post and lover of all things Shonen Jump. Although he'd rather take a grenade launcher to Black Clover, please welcome Jet. Sir, yes sir, welcome to be here, sir. And last but not least, we have the greatest of all time, the G-O-A-T of Dub Talk. Next to Lilac, give it up for Hardy. You magnificent bastard, I read your book! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, tonight, we sacrifice our warm bodies to combat the dub announcement for tonight's show. Saga of Tanya the Evil, brought to you by Studio Nut. <laughs> Studio Nut. Studio D's Nuts. <laughs> Studio Nutted. Studio Nut, as part of Double Talk's new lineup for the winter season. Now, if you haven't seen the show, here's a quick summary for you. On the front lines of war, there's a little girl, blonde hair, blue eyes, and porcelain white skin. She commands a squad with lisping voice. Her name is Tanya Degurachov. But in reality, she is one of Japan's most elite salarymen. Reborn as a little girl after angering a mysterious being who calls himself God, this little girl prioritizes efficiency in her own career over anything else, and she'll do anything to become the most dangerous being amongst the sorcerers of the Imperial Army. Now, as usual, we will be covering Funimation's press release from A to Z, talking about our predictions for the show, who was actually cast, and give our thoughts on the initial performance while going on and on getting hopelessly derailed about why Karma is literally a bitch, and if I could channel my inner hearty for tonight, because God knows I'm going to need something to get through this recording. So, as usual, we're going to start with the ADR director and scriptwriter. Now, of of course, being tradition here at Dub Talk, Hardy usually doesn't make predictions for this. Did anyone? That's true. Yes. Did anyone have any predictions at all here? Uh, yeah. Um, this is a weird show in that it kind of feels like two different series put together. But from the first episode that we got, did anyone else get some serious Attack on Titan vibes off of the aesthetics of the series? No. What? Not particularly. I got. 
I got a lot of Izetta the Last Witch aesthetic. Yeah, same here. <laughs> See, I hadn't seen that. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the two shows are very similar after having watched them. It's just one of them is significantly more, how do you say, pessimistic than the other. Yeah, I guess so. Well, I don't know well, who directed or script wrote the uh, Izetta dub, but the final. I can, tell, I can tell you who script. Well, well, okay, Daryl. okay. Let, let's hold off on that for a second and let's get predictions out of the way because I know where you're going with this, Jet. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. Like, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say that this scriptwriter is the worst scriptwriter ever. No, no, he's, no. no, no, no he's not the worst. He's yeah. The worst. Oh, oh, okay. Alright, let's keep it moving, gentlemen. Do we have any predictions? Uh, okay, um, let me see. Okay, so when I was thinking about uh, who could be working on this show... I is it, I recall that Brandon Potter worked on uh, Aldermaid, and that was also kind of a war thing, so I figured, hey, maybe he could do this one. And then for a scriptwriter, I said Bonnie Clinton-Mirror, just uh, because he usually does safe things. So hmm. yeah, like, yeah, like I wasn't terribly creative with this one, I'm sorry. Oh, I'll, I'll top you. <laughs> no, I'll be even less creative. I, I Trust me, this is way less creative. So, Like I said, because I thought it was kind of similar to Attack on Titan, at least as far as the war parts go, who, who was the fine strapping young man who directed the Attack on Titan dub, gentlemen? You went to the default, didn't you? Uh, for one oh, of man. them, yes. I, I went to I went to Camp McFarland. I went to McFarland land and plucked a mic out of the crowd. Uh... But but I did not but I did not pick his usual cohorts to be the scriptwriter. No. Because this is a war story, and you can either go one of two ways with that. It's either droll kind of uh, war tactics that are really boring to the average person or a bit more interpretive i wanted him to go more on the interpretive side and everyone loves this guy when he gets interpretive of course <laughs> j michael oh. tatum oh, man. Uh, uh, well maybe given the time period maybe but no i can't see that okay well i did no, try I, not to be wrong so you, I, yeah no, 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 no yeah. i couldn't see it that's a terrible thing <laughs> as as for me, I had uh, I had two directors, one assistant, and three scriptwriters. Now my direct my first director pick was a uh, Christopher Bevins because he likes to direct something outside of the box. He's also a history buff. I learned recently, but what I've noticed is that a lot of his shows he's directed recently have kind of a war theme attached to it. I mean. Last season, you have Drifters. This season, you have whatever show he's directing, we can't say. You have Gangster. Uh, Michiko and Hachi, if you think about it, it's a gang war kind of thing. Mm -hmm. As for... J yeah, not as for history piece. But no, yeah, I go ahead. But uh, yeah, Actually, now that you're grouping all of Chris Bevan's directing roles together, yeah, especially the history buff portion of it, yeah, I would have uh, pegged him for that if I'd known that ahead of time. As for the other two, I've had uh, Jerry Jewell with Josh Greeley as an assistant because Jerry Jewell likes to be a little off the wall at times and this is how the show kind of appeals to me. Like, it's, It seems like a, a military magic war drama and then you find out there's something else to it. As for script, yeah. As for script writer, I have uh, Rachel Robinson. Because uh, a lot of times, whenever Bevan's direct, like she'll help out with a script or two here and there. Like, 
like with the Latin and Drifters. Mm-hmm. I also have Jessica Kavanaugh and Monica Rial. I figured, you know, they can make it work somehow. I haven't seen the I haven't seen a bad script from them yet. So, and of but, course, one of those had to be right, correct? No, as it turns out, we are all wrong. And it's funny I bring up Chris Bevins because who's because who was actually directing is Mr. Jeremy Inman. And as for the scriptwriter, the scriptwriter is Jeremy Kratz. Now, Jeremy Inman, he's also been director for We Life, Desert Punk, five episodes of One Piece. He's also been assistant director for Heroic Ledger of Arslan, as well as being the main director for Dust Storm Dance. He's been assistant for Gangster, he's been assistant director for Heavy Object, Murder Princess, Selector Spread, We Cross, and Terran Resonance. As for Jeremy Kratz, it's funny, it's funny, Je- y'all mentioned the uh, Isetta comment, because he's also written for Isetta The Last Witch, My Hero Academia, Seraph of the End, Servamp, Yona of the Dawn for 8 episodes, and 10 o- Ten episodes of Kusen Madoshi Kohose no Kyokan because that show is absolutely terrible that I actually refuse to call it Sky Wizards Academy. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? That was like the best series to come out in 2014. Bullshit, but call you know it, it. Call it its real name, Crotch Wizards. <laughs> how, about, how about Piss Wizards? Jam Crotch. Oh, God. So let's wait, not start so, that again. So wait, what you're telling me is that both the director is named Jeremy, and the writer is named Jeremy. Which means... So, would you say it's JJ Style? You son yes! of a bitch, I was yes! going to say that. <laughs> Damn it, Hardy. <laughs> you stole thank my you, joke, man. You. I'll be here all week. <laughs> I'm, I should keep your ass for that. Uh, that's the only thing I'm going to remember Jeremy for for the rest of his life is being JJ and Yuri on Ice. <laughs> it's not like it wasn't the best part of the show because it was the best part of the show okay all points aside what do we think of the director and the scriptwriter Noah you go first I it's um here's I don't like war I I hate does, war does I anybody like it. war okay more specifically I don't like war stories ever since high school I've hated all Quiet on the Western Front or Ernest Hemingway novels that take place in war times because mostly because they're they're to read they're really boring and not very uh, diverse. They, the same thing happens over and over again. There's only so many ways you can retell the war of, of World War One. So I didn't think I was gonna like the directing or the writing on this, but uh, because it's a light novel adaptation where the prose has to be very engaging or else you're not gonna keep reading it because there's no pictures to really keep your interest. This turned out to be much better than I thought it would. Um, and that may just be because they diversify between on the battlefield tactics to uh, war room drama to uh, finding out how, Ta- uh, you know, Tanya's kind of a bitch. So um, <laughs> yeah. I, I like it. I, it handles the various flavors of this war, which I don't care about the war one way or the other, but it handles the flavors of it very well. Okay, then. How about you, Jet? What are your thoughts? Okay. Uh, so, okay, so directing is pretty fine. As for the script, I think it's pretty good, but I did have a little bit of a problem with one line at the end of episode two. Uh, it was a bit where Tanya had to pose for that photo when she was talking about how much she <laughs> hated it. 
<laughs> well, okay. that's a different story altogether. But okay, okay. Uh, okay, okay. So, okay, so my issue is one of the lines is um, is during that bit, like in a Japanese version, he said something like, "This situation is filling me with despair." And then in the dub, the line was changed to something like, "Don't they know I'm the bringer of despair?" I mean, like both. I mean, like both lines are kind of cartoony, but the latter sounds kind of a little bit too self-aware, and it's kind of out of place. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, like it's just one line, so it's not that big a deal. I just thought it was kind of weird. Uh, so <laughs> would you say, "I'm in despair. This dub writing has put me in despair." Damn it! This is not Danganronpa three, man. Uh, no, that's a sad argument. I was gonna say that's not that show never even got a dub. Okay, how about you, Hardy? What are your thoughts? Uh, I thought in the first episode the it sounded a little bit stiff, but as soon as Tanya really got into character, it sounded a whole lot better. Uh, I don't really pay much attention to individual scripts as long as I'm enjoying myself uh, with the show in general. Um, but uh, I think. Once the characters actually got into their roles, once they actually meshed, I I think it turns out really well. And the back and forth, especially between Tanya and people like Being X, or when you're hearing Tanya's mental thoughts, that's the best part of the show. Because basically she's, if I I don't want to get ahead of myself, she's pretty much light Yagami, um, or someone like... Or someone like Yoshikage Kira, in that she's just so diabolically off in the head and uh, that it's just it's kind of fun to listen to her okay really. it definitely got better when she showed up there i agree there was one line in the first episode actually where it sounded like they were uh, they hit uh, too stiff um the part where she's flying yeah. at the infantry and they start saying someone's coming in 2,000 feet eighteen thousand feet right. six thousand feet she's flying really fast it was so droll and and not not worried at all. Like, hey guys, should we be concerned about that flying bomb with pigtails coming right at us? <laughs> okay. As for me, I like the direction because Jeremy Inman seems to be coaxing some otherwise good, perf- really good performances, uh, little unexceptional performances out of maybe some of the safe choices here. But I really liked it. As for the script writing, however, I do find with Jeremy Kratz lately. It's kind of a Bonnie Clinkybeard effect. Like he doesn't just tend to be loyal to subtitles. He tends to be loyal to the story, like whatever what the show is about. Because there have been times where it's been a little hit or miss for me. Did we really need holy amazing super crap in My Hero Academia? Did we really? Yes, yes we did. We not only that, but. He stayed a little too loyal to Sir Vamp because God knows how confused I was. I think that's just because Sir Vamp was a confusing show in general. Yeah, and and he didn't pretty much almost nothing to kind of alleviate that a bit. But other than that, I do find it to be pretty solid. And Isaiah, he stayed true more to the war story and tried to avoid as much of the Yuri subtext as possible. But overall, it it was a pretty good job. Not Mm -hmm. my not. Is 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 my cup of tea? Let's say let's put it that way. I'm glad that okay. you brought up the. Uh, I'm sorry, Hardy. I'm glad you brought up the the light Yagami comparisons because a lot of the dialogue is very Death Note and the. Uh, we're going to take people sitting around and talking to each other and try to make it captivating with their intrigue and war tactics and their inner thoughts about how the fatherland is going to battle against the enemies. Okay, we could talk more about Death Note later. Let's just keep moving. 
Okay. Okay, so next up on the dock uh, next up on the docket we have probably two characters you're not really gonna care much about. We have uh, Maximilian Johann von Uger and Augustine Horstmann. Mm. Maximilian Uger is a classmate and sort of rival to Tanya, who you see in the fourth episode. He he doesn't really say much, but he is a little concerned for Tanya's well-being because, simply put, he says that he is a daughter of his own. And Holtzman is the commanding leader of the Republican Army, Army, and first lieutenant who fights against Tanya in the first episode. He's got a bitchin' beard. Yep. Yeah, he got a bitchin' beard, which... Now that you think about it, considering who they cast, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Actually, Von Uger is the big guy, again, the enemy forces, right? He's no, the big he's guy the... in the war college in episode four. And the one who okay. we meet again in the cafe later. Okay. Okay. Yeah, to, full disclaimer for the listening audience. If you watch the show and you couldn't quite remember whose name was who because the names are like a jumble of German names that you can't remember... That's okay. That's totally fine. Yeah, German's not a first forte, so... What did you say, Noah? It's like someone slamming <laughs> their face down on the keyboard yeah. and say, Hey, that's a name. One of the, yeah, one of the characters' names is so screwed up that I thought the producer comes in. Guys, we have to name these characters in five seconds. And the writer, smash your face on the keyboard. Done! Uh, I know which character you're talking about, but that actually is a German name. So I, 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 yeah. That's true. I know they're German names, and I apologize if I'm racist to Germans. Okay, remember. predictions, predictions. Uh, does anybody have any predictions? Uh, I think I had one. Are we talking about Johan von Uger? Uh, Uger and Hostman. Uger and Hostman, yeah. Um, let's see here. I don't think I do for Uger, actually. Because I by the by I, by the time I got to episode four, I was already watching the dub. So no, I didn't have any predictions. Okay, Jet, did you have any predictions? No. Noah. Let's see. I I did make predictions for um, both of them. Now that I think about it, uh, for Uger, because um, I hadn't cast him anywhere yet. Once I got into episode four, and because I I was like, he's got to be here somewhere. It's a war story. We got to put Karma in here somewhere. Uh, here we go. We'll make Austin Tyndall Maximilian von uh, von Ugerton. What the hell? <laughs> well, because um, I mean, I'm sorry. I've heard Austin Tyndall in a deeper voice, but I wouldn't put him as Uger if anything. Well, it was because I, I hadn't put him, like I said, anywhere else in the cast yet. And um, one of the other roles who we'll get to in a bit already defined my expectations for what they could normally do. So. And because uh, Maximilian's supposed to be kind of a younger person, like he says he has a younger daughter, so you know he's like probably in his like late twenties, early thirties. It's probably why I thought Austin, with his slightly higher voice, could fill that. And like I said, I had to put Karma in here somewhere. Oh, he's Karma, all right? As for me, I had no predictions for Uga because I locked mine down at episode three. I only had just Hostman, and that was Chris Sabat. No, actually, actually, I remember I do have predictions for Hostman, and I do think it is Chris Sabat, because this was the guy who looks exactly like Barrett from Final Fantasy 7. I don't know how, but somehow I think you'd think that. I don't know why. And I've yeah. never seen Final Fantasy at all. Like, 
Except mm-hmm. for the some of the women, but here I'll top yeah. I'll I'll top you. I'll I'll do one different. I'm sorry, I had one prediction for Houseman as well, and it is someone who doesn't play Final Fantasy, but, but maybe he does. I'm not sure. But I thought that with the the voice and the tough build, let's put a Brendan Potter sized hole in a Houseman sized peg. <laughs> okay then. Uh, he's usually uh, weird. Yeah, you can... yeah. <laughs> I'm going very unorthodox, except for the the top role, which I was not very unorthodox. But was I in, right? Was it in any time? in any case? We we are all wrong. Ah, yes, because Uga okay. is played by Chris Rager, and Hostman is played by Chris George. I had the and... wrong assassination classroom character for Max. <laughs> yes. Uh, Chris Rager, uh, works you may have seen him in, he's, Her- Her- uh, he's Hercule and Mr. Satan in Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball Super. Speaking of Assassination Classroom, he's Principal Arsenal. He's Zampano from Formel Alchemist Brotherhood. He's Drag Guildy from Gonna Be a Twin Tail. He's Galpha from Maria the Virgin Witch. All Along in One Piece. Tetsu and Servant. Sendro Okuma from Shimonetta and... Hey, Hardy, are your parents home? No, they are not. Fuck. Oh, God. Cover my ears. I'm thinking- <laughs> He's Kaiser Lidford from Rachel Bahamut Genesis. Damn. I was hoping your parents would be home. As for Chris <laughs> George, as for Chris George, he is Hirota in All Out. Baxter in Appleseed 13, Koji Tono, aka Tun from Cheer Boys. He's Joseph from Diamond Dollar, Word Sequin from Fairy Tale Zero. Uh, he's in another role we can't talk about yet. He's Ugo from Yomagon. Yomagon. Takuro Serenuma from Kiss Him Not Me. And Nishigori from Yuri on Ice. So, gentlemen, what, what do we think of these two performances? I'll be completely honest. They were just there. I don't know if you'll see Ugo again, but Hostman. At least he didn't get decapitated by Tanya. <laughs> that was beautiful. Oh, poor Jeremy Enman. I, I so love it when uh, when they have to they can't show the blood, so they just do a silhouette of the person's body being cut in half. She cut off Jeremy Enman's head and he exploded. <laughs> and we got to see the blood sprayed everywhere. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean they're done. They're there for. One episode, I don't know if we'll see Uga again, but what did you guys think of it? Jet? Uh, like I said, I barely remember who these characters were, so I don't really have much of an opinion. <laughs> well, that's understandable. How about you, Hardy? I think Chris uh, Chris George played a big, burly, angry guy that dies in the first episode very well. And, uh, effort, you know, many props to his efforts. So- um, I don't remember watching... I've watched episode four, but I don't remember very much from it, so I can't really comment on Chris's performance. I'm sure he did fine. Yeah. And uh, speaking of one-shot characters, we move on to our next set of soldiers. May they rest in peace. Uh, peace is. <laughs> yeah, peace is. <laughs> uh, Harold von Wiest and Kurt von Walhorst. Now... In the first episode, you see these two defy orders from Tanya and decide to go off and go commando on their own. But when you see them discussing with the commanding officer, 
they said that they will gladly die in the battlefield. To which, uh, spoiler alert, Tanya grants them their wish and reassigns them to a pillbox where later on and uh, more the shell drops on them, killing them in the process. So, gentlemen, did we have any predictions for them? Nada. I had one each, mainly for... I'm having a trouble I'm having trouble remember who I came up with for uh, Harold, but for Cursed, I had Austin Tyndall cuz he kind of has that Austin Tyndall look to him. Mm. Like character a lot of other characters that Austin has played and who's defiant and sort of, you know, cocksure and and doesn't take orders very well. And I bet right now you're hitting yourself in the head for that. Mm. I had two for Harold. I had four for Curse by dropping it to two, and that would be uh, Clifford Chapin and Michael Solusard. As for Harold, I had also Michael Solusard, but I also had Chris George. Okay. Now, did you name? Did you pick your predictions for these characters, mm-hmm. actors, before you got to the end of episode one? No, I picked my characters based on how the say you sounded. Okay. I mean, I, because, you know, I thought, you know... Is a is decent sized role at least until you see the end result episode one. Yeah, I Did had I ran to that problem when I made my predictions, and I'm asking because I, I wanted to know if you intentionally picked people who were like bigger name voice actors, like Clifford Chapin, like you said. No, I I tried I do try to put bigger names in smaller roles, but I I also try to make the voice fit. You know that yeah mm-hmm. I should I should probably do that too. Yeah. How about you, Noah? Did you have any predictions? I did. And because um, the way that the show uh, tells you the names of the characters, because it's not into expositing names, it just uh, puts a title screen up there with the the name written in uh, Japanese and English. So um, when you see someone's name's title pop up, you're kind of under the assumption, oh, they're, like maybe someone who's going to be around for a couple of episodes and we should remember who they are. So when the characters first popped up, I immediately... Uh, picked out actors for them who I thought would be around a lot longer and because I for some reason had My Hero Academia on my brain I put Harold as Clifford Chapin and Cursed as Justin Briner (laughs) okay well Mm -hmm. Noah Hardy I can tell you in both regards you two are actually close with Harold because of course we're all wrong Harold Von Wiest is played by Carl Phillips and Kurt von Waldhof is Austin Tyndall. Now, if you don't know who these two are, I'll tell you. Harold von V. I mean, Kyle <laughs> Phillips is Sosuke Sugaya in Assassination Classroom. He's Show Tokugawa in Cheer Boys. Kenichi Hiro in The Disastrous Life of Psyche K. Genshiro Saji in High School DxD. Uh, you mentioned My Hero Academia. He's Denki Kaminari. He's Hamza the Duck in Rage of Bahamut Genesis, and he's Mitsugu Yamaji in Three Leaves, Three Colors. As for Austin Tyndall... <laughs> he is karma. <laughs> he is karma from Assassination Classroom, but he's also every other form of karma. He's Mobster karma, a video from 91 Days. He's Hungry Hungry karma, Yosato from Bento. He's Magician karma, Ryoku Chono from Psyche K. He's Gunslinger, comma, Isaac Kano from Fairy Tale. He's Gender Fluid, comma, Soji Mitsuka from Gonna Be the Twin Tail. Narcissist, comma, Accelerator from Index and Railgun. Ninja, comma, Obi from Snow White. 
and Coffee Kama or Ghoul Kama, Ken Kaneki from Tokyo Ghoul and Tokyo Ghoul Wu A, probably his biggest name role today. Mm-hmm. And now we get to add a new flavor to the Austin rainbow. It's Soldier Karma. Oh, I thought you were going to say Dead Karma. <laughs> well, that he already played that in Attack on Titan. No, that was Half Karma. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Same difference, basically. Yeah, I, I assume everyone's going to die in the show that, by the but... end. Anyway, so, you know, at this point, they're pretty much warm bodies who give off good performance. I don't remember too much of it, but... Yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Yeah, like we I said, don't really remember them either. It's yeah. kind of hard to really comment on them when they get killed off quickly in episode one, and they only have a couple scenes to really showcase their stuff in, so it's kind of hard to comment, really. Which is a real shame, because uh, with the lead character's um, uh, commanding uh, attitude, we kind of need like someone who's a defiant person to her in order to like have some sort of a balancing act. So I kind of wanted at least one of these guys to stick around a little longer. But for their mm. role they had, they, they're they're good, headstrong people who want to um, want to do the right thing without listening to the the pint sized Tanya. Who if if you think about it, placing these larger actors in the in smaller roles like this, it kind of makes sense because. It helps to establish character and dominance compared to who plays Tanya, but we'll get to that later. Well, it's kind of, well, uh, let's see, we're in episode four in the dub right now. I haven't gotten past that, but none of, let's see, I think maybe like some of the higher ups and one other female actress who we'll get to later has been recurring in the cast so far. So all, all the soldiers are, it's not that we're not remembering their names just because we don't speak German. It's also because they're kind of disposable in the war effort, and that's kind of a... Uh, that's kind of a like problem with all soldiers. war stories. So that, that's why people liked, um, uh, what am I thinking of, um, Saving Private Ryan, because you have a centralized group of soldiers who we follow throughout the movie, not just a hundred forgotten soldiers who will be dead by the end of the show. Oh, God. Anyway, speaking of higher-ups, it's time to move on higher-up to, off- to our two commanding generals, Hans von Zettor and Eric von Rehugen. Now, these, now uh, Zetor is the is one of Tanya's superiors who uh, fre- refresh my memory. I remember he forms the war plans for the ah, the Mage Battalion, but the, for the Mage Battalion in Episode Four, to which he which he inadvertently screws Tanya over thanks to uh be, to being X. Woo, talk about karma. It's a bitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All this show's got and, deep philosophy in it, for sure. And uh, Verugin is the... Uh, what does that have here? Verugin is the lieutenant colonel who discovered Tanya's true nature after observing her in battle. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, he's the one military person who is uh, who's not taking advantage of her... Um, headstrong military-ness because he realizes that she's a loose cannon and we probably shouldn't trust her. <laughs> Which no one yeah. else listens to him, and even though we're only at four episodes in, I'm assuming that's going to come back to bite them in the ass later. Yeah, he's pretty much that one guy in anime who tries to warn you, but you don't listen to him until it's too late. <laughs> he tries so, to warn. He's a Cassandra. So, yeah. So he's the Jeff Goldblum. Ooh, 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 ooh. Okay. Check. So, did we have any predictions for this? 
Okay, I oh. actually did have predicted for that. Okay, um... Uh, one second. So, full disclosure, uh, it's probably worth noting that, um... So, uh, since the book for Acumen Strip actually ended up coming out day and day with the simulcast, I thought this one might too. So I actually made pretty much all of my predictions before actually seeing the show. So I mostly just masked, uh, voice actors with save names. Uh, so let me see who I put here. Uh, for Seator, I said John Swayze. And for Relgan, I had two picks. One was Jason Douglas, just going by who to say he was. And the other because it's a character with glasses, and there's only one person you could ever really cast for that. That person being, uh, of course, the illustrious name Michael Tatum. Okay. I also had two predictions for these characters. I had one for Hans, and I had two for, uh, for Eric. Uh, for Hans, my prediction was Kent Williams. Because he plays a lot of these types of characters. You know, the eyes closed, very military, very tall, skinny, um, sort of subservient military man character. Um, that's something that he's done in the past to, to a good extent. And I think I could have seen him uh, reprise the, the same role here. Uh, for Eric, I too also had J. Michael Tatum because it is the type of role he often gets cast in. But I also had Jared Green, because he seems to be a more up-and-coming sort of role, and he, he and the character looks a lot like characters that he has played previously as well. So I could see it going either way. I'm sorry, what else has Jared Green played? That's not a name I recognized. He uh, was Moguzo in Grimgar. Um, have you seen most- Nambaka? I haven't. I was really bad about following shows in the past season. Boy, you better watch Nambaka. I know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm i sorry. I didn't, I, I'm didn't. i a terrible human being. I, I should be put in front of the firing squad. So did you have any predictions, Noah? Oh, yes, I did. All right, before I get executed, I didn't have anyone for Hans. I, I just couldn't think of anyone. But I totally agree with you guys about John Swayze and Kent Williams being good uh, predictions as well. So screw it. I'm going to steal your predictions. My two predictions were John Swayze and Kent Williams. Ha, I just thought it was right now. <laughs> okay, as for me... Oh, you, Sai, you go ahead. There's one more person. Yeah, me, genius. No, no, I mean there's one more person to predict. Eric. Eric. Yeah, Eric. You can't forget about Eric. You can't forget about the glasses-wearing Eric guy who... You know, it, it kind of uh, reminds me of uh, this actor who always plays glasses characters who, like, pushes the glasses up to his nose ridge. And um, oh, what's his name? It's um, it's like a, a May Tykel Jadum, I think it is. Yeah, that's it. I think it's K. Mickey Malcolm, but that's a different story. Ah, oh, I, there you go. That must be the guy. There we go. <laughs> okay. As for me, I had two for each. For Zetor, I had... Mark Stoddard and Kent Williams because I pulled the GG card and went to typecasting because, as you said, Hardy, they both sound military-like and commanding, so I figured they would mm-hmm. they could both easily fit here. Mm-hmm. I also did the same for uh, Ray Rugen, and I cast both Tatum and Bevins because... Not well, yes, because they're glasses characters, but also because I could actually see the voices figuring here. And, of course... Of, of course, typecasting is typecasting. Zetor is voiced by Mark Stoddard, and Ray Rugen is voiced by Tatum. 
So we were all right this time, actually. For once in our lives, we were all right. J. Michael Tatum, because of course it was. <laughs> yes. And there's a reason he's... There's a reason he's typecast in these roles as the stoic glasses wearer because he always plays it well. And because in real life, he does look like the stoic glasses wearing kind of dude, so. He does. Although you know, I, can't, lot, I can't, can't particularly see him as a military kind of person. No, but a lot of these times when the actors do these kinds of roles, you know, they tend to fit their personality in the best they can. And I do see... J- J. Michael Tatum is somewhat of a commanding person, so even though he's pretty much a sweet guy in real life. Anyway, anyway, as for other roles, Mark Stoddard, if you do not know who he is, he is Lucky Abrams in Blood Blockade Battlefront, Scipio Africanus in Drifters, he's Pascal in Endride, he's Marot in Gangster, Bodine in the Heroic Legend of Oslin, and Reiji Takayama in Witchblade. And J. Michael Tatum, if you don't know who he is, you've not been watching this show long <laughs> enough. If you don't know who this man is. He is Sir Hammerlock in Borderlands. He's Erwin in Attack on Titan. He's Sebastian in Black Butler, probably one of his biggest named roles. Stephen A. Starface in Blood Blockade Battlefront. Matayoshi in Damodala. He's Ray from Free. He's Franz from Hatalia. Tomoe from Kamisama Kiss, Shiro from Assassination Classroom, another stored glasses wing character, Tenya Ida from My Hero Academia, he's Kyoya Oturi from Oran, he's Ian Kurtz from Pandora, also another commanding glasses character, he's Orion from Show by Rock Season 2, he's Dr. Gerald from Space Dandy, and he's Sukiyama from Tokyo Ghoul and Tokyo Ghoul Root A. So, I ask you this, gentlemen. What do you think of these two roles? I feel kind of bad about consistently putting J. Michael Tatum in these roles here, but he keeps auditioning for them, and he keeps getting them, and he keeps doing a good job. And when I said earlier that we kind of needed at least one military brass who would be, like, defiant to Tanya throughout the show as a contrast, this is the role. This is the person who knows something's wrong here. A nine-year-old should not be a military officer. I don't care about a meritocracy. This should not be functional. So he does a very good job about being cautious and nervous as the I saw it coming character without being too droll or too boring to listen to. I don't think he's nervous. I think he's a little bit of a worry ward because, you know, like I said, he's seen the true nature of Tanya and what she can do, which kind of makes him concerned. As for Zetor, I mean, typecasting is typecasting, but I think Monk Stoddard really does good in this role. And I hope he enjoys it with more to come. Mm-hmm. I'm stuttering over my own words here, apparently, but that's okay. Hardy, what are your thoughts? Oh, yeah. Um, one thing that you mentioned earlier about Rurugan is that he does J. Michael Tatum doesn't really lend himself to many military roles, but you have to remember, Rurugan is more of the you know well of a, da- a tactical data analysis type. And that is the sort of voice that char- that character that Tatum voices really well, that he's really dug a niche for himself out of. And so yeah, I think he does a really good job, especially when he has to get a bit more emotional and distraught and sort of nervous whenever he sees Tanya doing something that she, that she really shouldn't be doing. And um, 
the kind of going into the paranoia almost. Uh, so I think he does a good job. As for Zator, um, Mark Stoddard has always been good with military roles, and this is no exception. Uh, just by the character's look, I probably still would have gone with Kent Williams, but Mark does a very, very um, stand-up job, so it's commendable. I mean, I mean, well, both are kind of usual typecasting for those voice actors, but they do those roles well, so I don't really have any complaints. Like, Mark Sutter is always kind of good at the commanding officer thing, and he does that really well here. And uh, Michael Tatum is pretty much every guy with glasses, but hey, he's good with being every guy with glasses. <laughs> and, I, and, I think, and I think it's kind of interesting that he's playing the paranoid guy here, so. Yeah, he does very well paranoia. I'll give him so, credit. But he has so, flavors of that. Anyway, moving higher up, we have two very different roles, and even I could not typecast. We have Elon, Lieutenant Elon Schwarzkopf, and we have Brigadier General Kurt von Rudersdorf. <laughs> Jamal, I'm going to buy you a beer after this for trying to pronounce all these German names. I don't know whether I should say bless you after trying to say Von Rudersdorf. <laughs> Excuse me. No, you should say <laughs> Gestundheit. Gestundheit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Lieutenant Schwarzkopf is uh, su- superior on, uh, superior over Tanya's command. He, somebody refresh my memory here because I know he seems to be the caring type when it comes to dealing with Tanya. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. the one he's... in episode one who um, uh, he kind of uh, delegates her uh, role in what she in where she's going to go at the halfway point. And yeah, he's the only one who kind of shows he's the nicer military person who shows concern halfway through the episode. He's the one person in the show who actually somewhat kind of has a heart. Yes. So. Well, I mean, there's also another person who has a heart. Well, yeah. Tanya, so. Yeah, she has a heart, but not much of a brain. But we'll get to that <laughs> later. <laughs> you got something else there, though. Yeah. And as for Rudersdorf, Noah, can you help me out here? The, my notes on him are just chess, because he's the guy who we see at the beginning of the ep- of uh, episode one, who's playing chess and uh, being told that their inven- uh, their infantry, I think is their infantry, is out of recruits. So they have to uh, reassess their tactics in order to work with a smaller amount of people. Because the first thing we see in the beginning of the episode is a whole lot of people getting killed. Yep. Yeah. He also has a fabulous mustache, which I must, I find most, uh, I'm most covetous of. Would you say uh, he's, he's, he's not quite Austrian enough, though? Okay, then. So, predictions. Did we have predictions for these two gentlemen? Two uh, gentlemen. let's see. Yes, I did, actually. Um, I had two for Schwarzkopf, and I had one for Rudersdorf. Uh, for Schwarzkopf... I actually had my... This is where I put my mandatory Marcus Stimic role. Uh, because of course. Because of course. And I also had... I also had... Uh, I put... What's his name? Um, oh, what's oh, his, I, I love for, what's his name. Uh, he was in that one anime, right? Help me out here. Uh, guy who plays... Dumb guy in Psyche K. What is... David uh, Wald? David Wald, yes. That's who I had. I had David Wald... Because he, he resembles a, because I'm an idiot. It happens. 
No, because yeah, it play. He reminds me of a lot of characters that David Wald would play. I think the voice and and uh, the face would match up really well. And Marcus, just because I like Marcus a lot, and I think it would work as well. Yeah, see, I I can understand, but at the same time, I'm trying to picture Marcus trying to portray that character. I mean, he's done similarly with uh, Ryoma Tarasica from Assassination Classroom, but. I, I I can't picture it. I'm sorry. I can kind of agree with oh, you, too, fine. because, like, well, at least in this kind of show where there was a lot of gruffer-sounding voices, you, you would kind of think he would go in one of those roles. Not not this one. But then again, Nanbaka. Holy shit. Yeah. How about and you... Then for, and you, then for Rudersdorf... Sorry, I... Sorry to cut no, you off No, it's my here. fault. But this was where I had my Mark Stoddard. Uh, this is where I put him. And uh, and possibly I also put um, R. Bruce Elliott for this role as well, because they play a lot of older gentlemen, uh, mustache typed. So. Okay, I guess I'll go next in that case, because my prediction for Ru- I had two for each, but my prediction for Rudersdorf kind of goes hand in hand with my predictions for Zetor, and that would be Mark Stoddard and Kent Williams, because typecasting is typecasting i mean they both have a military commanding voice in them and i thought maybe they fit real good in lieutenant world like this if not the general world as for uh, as for schwarzkopf i had chris george and tyson reinhardt again, okay again big burly voice a big burly voice i figured it fit for a character of this nature because he is kind of stoic well, True. He's, he's in charge of a bunch of people, so yeah, he's, he's got to be kind of worn down by a lot of deaths. Okay, how about you, Jeff? Um, I didn't really have any predictions for either of them, I think. Okay, and you, Noah? Um, we should be ashamed of typecasting, because how dare we, we typecast? It's not like the Japanese I... voice actors have a tendency to typecast their actors. Oh, wait till we get to the end. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think we're, yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. But at this minute, I am going to piggyback off of Hardy because I also, for Rudersturf, Kurt von Rudersturf, I also put R. Bruce. You I, say, you, I'm sorry, you sound like the Swedish chef of Sesame Street, man. <laughs> okay, okay, bring it in, gentlemen, bring it in, bring it in. You were saying <clears throat> Sorry. Um, I also put R. Bruce Elliott in that role, and it's uh, because it's such an early role. I knew I was going to put him somewhere in the cast list because his voice is so... Uh, it's it's tough, but it's not threatening, and that's what I like about his performance so much. He's got, like, the perfect narrator voice. If he narrated everything Sergeant Frog style for the rest of his life, I would be happy with every show Funimation ever put out. Okay. And that, but then we get into the weird one, and that is, let me smash my face on the keyboard here. Okay, that guy, um, Schwartzkopf. Yes, yes. You doomed yes, Okay, I got uh, Schwartzkopf. Got it. Because <laughs> I didn't have him anywhere else on the list yet, I wanted to give Jerry Jewell a role in this show, and with a slightly uh, higher voice. Uh, thought, you know what? He, I'm sure he's uh, tired of uh, Russian ice skating. Maybe he'd like to take a turn in uh, revisionist German military instead. Yeah, the higher voice part kind of concerns me because, as usual, as usual, we are all wrong. No! Elin Schwarzkopf is 
Surprise, surprise, voiced by Rico Fajardo. What? <laughs> I, I couldn't. And Rudersdorf is voiced by Greg Dolce. Or Dolce. Now, if you don't know who these two are, Rito, Rico Fajardo is Shinosuke in All Out. He's Itona in Assassination Classroom. He's Shu in Castletown Dandelion. He's Kyosuke Munakada in Danganronpa 3. Uh, he's in another one we can't talk about yet. He's Emilio in Gangster. He's Leon Luis in Garo the Animation. He's Hero in Grimgar. He's Dayun in the Heroic Legend of Arslan. He's Kazuma Mutsumi in Kiss Him Not Me, which still blows my mind. I, I'm sorry, I refuse to believe that's him. <laughs> <laughs> Ta he's Takuru in Princess Stride Alternative. He's Takuru in Psychic K. He's Takuru in Chaos Child. He's Kai in hmm. Show by Rock. He's Shusuke in Wii Without Wings. And probably my favorite role of his of all time. He's Happy Fucking New Year, Mitsuru Hito Koe from Nambaka. <laughs> <laughs> As for Greg Dolce, other roles you may have seen him in, he, he's Dopo in Baki the Grappler, he's Yamamura in Barakamon, he's Koji in the Ava 3.0 movie, he's Corsica in Gangster, he's Kuraha in Noragami and Noragami Aragoto, and he's Smoker in One Piece. So he is the guy who karate chopped a tiger's neck in half. Oh, that oh, was good. him. Okay. Oh, good tiger god. chopping. Oh, good god. <laughs> I was like, I'm trying to remember because I I saw the name Greg Dulce on the cast list, and I was like, I don't think I've ever seen this name in a Funimation role before. So I had to go through the cast list. But the first thing that popped up in his credits, of course, was Dopo Orochi from Baki the Grappler, and I'm like, Tiger Chop. Yeah, that's my favorite <laughs> Baki character. Oh. By the way, I found like uh, most of the singles for Baki the Grappler on sale at a used disc store, and I was like, if I had any care for the show, maybe I'd buy these. <laughs> okay, then. So, gentlemen, what do we think of these roles? Uh, Jet, let's start with you. <laughs> have to start with me. I don't want to. <laughs> just say they're awesome and move on. I'm just mixing it up, man. I'm sorry if I meant to put you on the spot. That's a, that's a, oh no, it's okay. I mean, they both kind of do a good job of sort of like higher ups. Like, I'm sorry to have, I'm sorry to have a more detailed opinion on them. But, well, you've been in the military before, right, Jet? Uh, I suppose so. Excellent. So you know what a, a commanding officer is supposed to sound like. Were these voices similar to your commanding officers when you were in the 9th Battalion? Yes. Perfect. That's all the correct. That's all the praise you need. Okay then. How about you, Hardy? Uh, well, Dulcy didn't really make a big impression on me, uh, because frankly, Rudersdorf is just sort of in the background most of the time. Yeah, you know, he's not really a character that you focus on a whole lot, and so I really did not form much of an opinion. But as far as Schwarzkopf is concerned, that kind of uh, threw me for a loop because you don't really hear. Rico voicing a lot of big characters like this, you know? It's sort of, if I had to call it something, it's sort of like somewhere between Mage from Dance with Devils and uh, Daryu. Yeah, one of, uh, not one of uh, Rico's better performances, but... But uh, then again, I yeah. hated that show, so... Yeah. 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 Okay. So I, I, I like Schwarzkopf. He's sort of a big, friendly, teddy bear sort of character. 
and I think Rico plays him. Rico plays him well. He's got he really shows off his range. Yes. Uh, how about you, Noah? I'll agree with the um, hit, um, uh, Schwartz coughing off there being a big teddy bear, uh, a nice uh, dad character in an army full of people who are probably on the brink of uh, mental breakdown. And it's good that the writers wrote one of those in here because it, this is a meritocracy. This whole country operates on a meritocracy where however good you are at something, merits means you can go as far as you want. So we don't just have the tough people who come from a military family who are getting into this. We have people who are good at their job who get promoted up in the higher ranks. And Rico's role in this, although it's, it's pretty small, it's only uh, in that first episode, I think, uh, it, it's distinct from all the other officers and soldiers we hear like he's not uh austin tyndall's um suicide soldier voice and he's not the uh burlier chris george voice either so he, he meets somewhere in the middle there and i'll, I'll give him praise for doing that and on the <laughs> other end of the spectrum um yeah uh ruder stop is just there he's he's just playing chess he's just militarying away it was inevitable there were going to be a couple forgettable Act, uh, lines here, not yeah. because the actors aren't good that, actors, but because their timber and their voice just doesn't lend itself to a memorable role. Yeah, that's the thing with higher-ups and higher-up characters in general. They tend to be a bit laid-back, which I'll bring up towards the end. I mean, Rudersdorf is kind of in the background. In the background. As for Schwarzkopf, I did not expect that from Rico Fajardo. I mean, yeah, he does sound like he's trying to be a bit of a dad character. I would have preferred someone a bit more stoic, someone with a bit more power in his voice, like maybe David Ward or something. Okay. And compared to the Japanese, which was also uh, the, the nice person. Remember what we'd seen preceding that in the episode. It was a lot yeah, of death. But yeah, I know, but Schwarzkopf is a stout, kind-hearted guy. I just wanted to see something a little... I just wanted to hear something a little deeper. It's a new name that I can spell, for gosh sakes. <laughs> Schwarzkopf! I can't yeah. spell it! Oh. Gesundheit! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on now, we get to the creme de la creme. We get to the main four. Is it four? Yeah, to the main four. <laughs> this is where we're going to have some fun, gentlemen. Oh, my. All right. Yes. We get to see just how weird this show really is. Yes. We're gonna, for the next couple of characters, we're going to take a detour here. And we're going to start with being X. Now, being X is essentially the man that is called God, who torments our main character into... Making her believe in him by uh, trying to provide uh, miracles and maybe a bit of karma wherever possible. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, it's, yeah it, it is weird. It, it's kind Pretty of uh, if I can interject just a little bit. It's it's Old Testament God almost one that mm. one that <laughs> loves people to worship them. And will do great things for you, but is also a little bit of a petty diva as well. Although, <laughs> considering Tanya, she kind of deserved it, let's be honest. Yeah. Well, I, I can disagree with that, actually. Okay. If, you have, if you have a society, let's look at Japanese society, if we will. Japanese society values efficiency. Like, uh, Tanya, uh, in episode two, even has that comment that, 
If you're overworked, that's a sign of poor management. If you should not be overworking your workers, they should be working just as hard as they can manage and still be getting the results you need. So believe me from personal experience, I know that all too well, but we really need to move on before this turns into a religious man. So, so gentlemen, did we have any predictions for this? Uh, Hardy, let's start with you. I think, I believe, I had Arbrus Elliot here because being X is sort of like a, a faceless narrator role. And, well, this is mainly for being X in the body of the Nutcracker because being X doesn't... We have to explain something. Yeah. Being X speaks through the people and things that is around Tanya at any specific time. In episode two, so, yes. In episode two. So they have... All these different voices coming from all these different people. It's not one singularity. Uh, now, when Tanya's alone by herself in her room, she has this Nutcracker doll on her desk. And when the when it speaks through the Nutcracker, that's when I thought, you know, we need sort of a godlike voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. We need sort of a godlike voice, and so we have the narrator, sort of. And I thought of who played God in Space Dandy was our Bruce Elliott. Yeah. Okay, that's really mm -hmm. cool. Was that in the second half of Space Dandy? I thought no, it was in that was No, that was the whole... Well, he was both. Okay, because... Like, yeah. like, 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 okay, yeah, like, he was reviewed at the end. Yeah. <laughs> must miss that part. Okay. Noah, how about you? You have any predictions? You guys are going to have to help me out on this one, because um, the, the kind of character that this demon god reminds me of is the god in Bacchino, um, but I don't remember who the voice was of it in that show. Chuck Huber, and he was the devil in that Bacchino. Thank you. Thank, uh, yeah, the, the omnipresent one who gives the characters their alchemist live forever <laughs> powers. Okay, so that there we go. That, that's the voice I would have picked for just that Nutcracker scene, because like you said, there's about... The voice jumps from a lady to a baby to a pigeon to a dog in episode two. But So for one consistent voice, I would have picked Chuck Huber. Okay, how about you, Joe? What do you have? Okay, well, I didn't actually have any predictions for this one, but if I had predicted, but if I had predicted someone, I would have gone to my go-to DD voice for Funimation stuff, which is, of course, the illustrious Ken Williams. Okay. <laughs> what other god voice? I'm sorry. What other characters did he play that were godlike? Uh, he was a dude in Future Diary. <laughs> I still need to watch that. Uh, you, you, no, 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 you don't. No, I have been told the dub's not good, but I, I do want to watch the show just because I, I liked, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, uh, Dead Man Wonderland, and I wanted to watch a similar, um, everyone's going to die kind of show. Okay, then. You should probably watch Corpse Princess for that. That's different. As for me, I, I didn't even, I didn't even know what he was called until the third episode, so I put question mark, question mark, question mark. And then I put being X, to which I had Chris Sabat and J. Michael Tatum. Because Chris Sabat, of course, you know, he's a, he, he does tend to sound godly at times, and he has a good narrative voice. And Tatum, because I also remember he played a god in Noragami, to which, fuck you, man. Like, that god was a pain in Noragami Aragoto. I forget the name, but... 
Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm trying to imagine now Chris Sabat doing his All Might voice as God in this universe. <laughs> Tanya, you must seize no. the power of one in order to pray to my God, and then I won't crush you with this train that is going to crush you. Oh dear, sweet God. In any in any case, we are all wrong. Who is actually voicing being X is Bill Jenkins. Now, if you've not heard of Bill Jenkins before, let me tell you what other roles he's been in. He's Tadayoshi Kisaragi in Blood Sea. He's Kiel Lorenz in the Ava movies. He's Count Luis in Lupin III, the woman called Fujiko Mine. He's the narrator of One Piece, but... If you've been following along with the uh, Year of Fairy Tale, you might recognize him as Jude Hartfelia, aka Lucy's father. So, gentlemen, what do we think of being X and Bill Jenkins? I liked it, honestly. I did too. I think, yeah, I think he, when he and Tanya go back and forth, it's like I like their little arguments that they have with each other and. It meshes really well, and I think Bill has that sort of commanding, you know, do-as-I-say voice, or regret it. Yeah. I thought it was really good. I'd li- I want to see more of it. Uh, I want to see more of him specifically as the Nutcracker or as a non... a character who's not... Ris- Ugh, I'm sorry, I cannot brain today i has the dumb it's all good um, man it's all good yeah i want to see more conversations with being x through using bill jenkins because he also voices the pigeon in episode two um but uh but yeah that's i want to see more of it basically okay how about you noah yeah i, I also like it it, it would have been kind of hard to screw this up because as long as they played it straight um i mean they they made it a serious role then they were pretty much golden, as long as they had a low voice that played it serious. And Bill does that in the Nutcracker scene. It, it's kind of like um, what I guess I'd describe as an audiobook narrator kind of voice, where this was obviously taken straight from the light novels. This dialogue scene, episode three, where they're going back and forth about the necessity of praying to a deity or the uh, reliability of mankind to take care of themselves and that we don't need a god anymore. Like We'll get into that when we can talk about Tanya. But for his side on that, Bill does a, a good job. It, it almost reminded me a bit of the way that um, Val Kilmer, I think that's his name, uh, the guy who played uh, Moses in uh, The Prince of Egypt, uh, the way he kind of... Yeah, played, that was Val Kilmer. Yeah, the, the way he played uh, God in that movie as well. It's not, it's not intimidating, but it's not sweet and cuddly either. It's, some, it's just hovering right. in between the two of omnipresent awesomeness okay it's god fearing which is what you're looking for i you're supposed to fear him yes and the fact that this little shit of a girl is not kind of i i get the feeling like from the end of uh the jungle book where it's like uh mowgli you're going to die please just bow to the tiger and don't get killed (laughs) okay not left and indicating that left jet what is your thoughts on being x Okay, uh, well, I actually mostly recognize Bill Jenkins from his role in FMA as uh, Slicer, like uh, one of the, uh, he was one of the homunculus, well, no, not homunculus, ah, oh, man, I can't remember. Not, what well, he was he one of the, he wasn't one of the uh, Seven Deadly Sins, was he? Okay, okay, okay no, uh, he was from, uh, what was it, uh, Laboratory. He was Barry he, he, the he, Chopper, he was. Yeah, he was from Laboratory 5, he was one of the, um, 
Barry the Chopper was uh, Chris Patton. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, okay, that's, okay, okay. I thought it was yeah. Jerry Jewell. No, no, no. I was gonna, You didn't let me finish. He was Barry the Chopper's accomplice. Yeah, he's one of the he, guys in the suit of armor. Like, yeah, okay, the, who, yeah got, who got yeah. the blood seal. Yeah, he was the one with two people. And he was the uh, authoritative one. But uh, I always kind of thought he had a voice in a lot of prisons and he really plays that well here. Like, uh, like it's really distinct that I like it. Yeah, it's funny yeah. you say it's a voice with a lot of presence because as soon as I found out that he's Lucy's father, I was like, oh yeah, that's a very commanding presence because for anybody who's ever seen fairy tale, he is kind of a pain, but you know, at least he means well. Same with being X, you know, he is kind of a pain to Tanya, putting her all in, the, in all these situations, but in the end, you know he means well because, of course, Karma's a bitch. Honestly, I don't think he means well. If I, I, I can counter that a little bit here. Because the... Okay, okay. Um, let's talk about weirdness here. This show starts in war Germany, episode one. Then it goes flash forward in episode two, where we see Tanya's future life, where then the god decides, I don't like you, so I'm going to send you back in time to a time period mm -hmm. where... Your mm -hmm. needs aren't met, and you have to fight to survive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And not no. only that, I'm going to make it so that you can't use your magic unless you pray to me specifically. Okay, okay. Here's the thing. You're wrong about that, because what it is is it starts off in a war-torn Germany where... Okay. He's, in episode two, for those that haven't seen it, in episode two, it is revealed that uh, Tanya... Tanya is a Japanese business salaryman who's exacted comic revenge upon and transported into an alternate universe of World War One, where there is magic involved. And speaking of said Japanese salaryman, let's move on to him. Now, uh, now on the press release, he's listed as Tanya uh, as a man. But I think for all intents and purposes, we're going to call him Alex, just so I could tell that train, Hey! Here comes Alex! <laughs> <laughs> I think the other two are like, what are you talking about? I, I actually got that one. But in reality, what it is, is this, this business salary man, he is he pretty much believes that he could be laid back and just reap the benefits and he doesn't realize how hard he really has to work until he is shoved into the train tracks by an, an employee who he fired to which time literally stops and being X just intervenes and discusses with him and he through this discussion he decides to put him into dire straits by having him reincarnated as a little orphan girl named Tanya in an alternate war-torn World War One-based Germany. It's so, interesting to note. Yeah, I just want to say it's interesting to note that um, uh, they give us a time. They actually give us a year for the when he sent back to, and it's the mid 1920s. And if you remember your World Wars, World War One had ended and World War Two hadn't started yet. So you're very right in saying this is an alternative version of that time period. Okay, so, gentlemen, did we have any predictions for this man? I did, actually. Um, because this, this actor plays a lot of jerk faces, 
and a lot of manipulative evil assholes. Oh god. For this one episode, I no, it's not who you're thinking. It is I picked either I picked Chuck Huber. Oh. oh. Okay. Yeah, I did not pick Eric Vale, no. Oh, I, no, <laughs> I thought you were going to say Vic Mignogna, but... I thought you were no, going to no. say Robert McCown. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. All of those would have been apt. Don't, don't yeah. deny it. Those all would... Like, we love you, Vic, Robert, and whoever the other person was, but you play those roles good. Yeah. Eric, Eric Vale. Okay. We love you, Eric Vale. So, Jet, did you have any predictions? No. Or, yeah, I figured you would. I didn't. I didn't know he had the name either, but you know, it's a very, very important to the plot. How about you, Noah? Yeah, um, I'm kind of surprised that when you guys were going doing your rundown of asshole characters, that you did not put everyone's favorite asshole voice actor from Funimation, because the one guy who I immediately imagined playing this character in the show, what? Say it with me, everyone. Ian Sinclair. <laughs> I thought of the wrong name entirely. <laughs> yeah. Other, yeah. Just, just because, like, because he's always he can play a jerk without being too unlikable. And that, so, so but he's I, not I supposed I, to be likable at all. He's, you're right. I'm, I agree. He's not supposed to be likable. But I, at least for the sake of my listening, I wanted them to not be entirely deplorable. Because there is some hu- there's some believability. That, um, I believe the character is what you would call a utilitarian, someone who thinks only in the very quickest, effective terms, regardless of if anyone else gets harmed in the process. Okay, as for me, I mean, yeah, he is kind of an asshole, so I kind of pick with somebody who could have a deeper register than normal. I had three for Tanya or Alex or whatever you want to call him. I had uh, Alejandro Saab, Josh Greeley, and Christopher Bevins. And y'all go... Sc- and <laughs> because I'm doing this, I... Had, what? What were you going to say, Noah? Uh, um, I had recently finished um, Michiko and Hachin, and Chris Bevins plays the guy who Michiko's after in that show. And I'm just thinking, yeah, he was kind of a dick in that show, too. Yeah, <laughs> he was. But in reality... I actually had this right because it is actually Josh Greeley. I cannot believe this. This guy is. There's a reason we have an award called voice acting black magic named after this guy. I I wouldn't really say it's, uh, possibly black magic because I've heard him go deeper. Is but... it, is it, yeah, it's a, yeah, I've heard him go this deep before. So it's a, it's not even that I'm necessarily surprised by the voice he used. Just kind of surprising with him. But it, it, uh, but, but for it the longest. <laughs> For the longest time listening to it, I thought it was Marcus Stimmick for a second because <laughs> it was it was weird. It uh, he picked up a lot of uh, Marcus's uh, mannerisms. Uh, I, I don't know. I could tell it was him the second I heard it. <laughs> I, I agree with Hardy in that it, it it's not just the low voice. If it was a low voice, I can understand. It's that all voice actors have speech patterns and mannerisms that you can sometimes pick up on. But that did not sound like anything I've heard Josh do before. And I'm sure once you list yeah. his roles he's done, though you're probably list one that i haven't seen before that sounds similar to this thank you for that segue uh coming from you speaking of black magic he is femped from black blockade battlefront he's um. asusa asahina from buzz conflict he's byakuya togami from danganronpa he's shido itsuka from data life he's shimatsu toyohisa from drifters 
He's Fumu, Fu, uh, Fumikage from My Hero Academia. He's Kurnosuke from Princess Jellyfish. Ace from Puzzles and Dragons. Ryo Yoake from Real Life. <laughs> He's Tanukichi Okuma from Shimaneta. Oh joy. <laughs> He's Sen Wisteria from Snow White. He's Yuri Katsuki from Yuri on Ice. And he's Life Beauty from Yuri Kumarashi. So, do we do we need to say anything at this point about Josh Greeley? I think we all. Well, I think we more or less said what we were going to. <laughs> the man yeah. is terrible, and he should pick a different profession. Clearly, I mean, th- there's a reason. There's a reason we gave him the 2016 W Award for Best Actor. So, just this is another because I honestly could not tell it was him until. Near the end, I could pick I it up. I couldn't tell it was him until like 20 seconds in. It was weird. Yeah, it was. So, yeah. Knowing what so. we know about the, the audition process for Funimation, is I have to wonder if he intentionally went in for this or if uh, Jeremy pulled him out and said, Hey, uh, do your low asshole voice for me. Okay, you got the role. This is what, <laughs> this, and this leads back to Jeremy because this is what I meant. I said it's kind of safe, but at the same time, like he could take that safe choice and do something completely different with it. Which, when we get to Tanya, I'm going to go into more on that. But for the time being, Josh Greeley, well, he's, he's very good in this role and he's very good what he does. We don't need to say any more. Right. Except for the fact that I'm, I'm glad he got run over by that train. Screw that guy. Greeley got run over by a freight train. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I hate you, Hardy. <laughs> I hate you. You can say there's not such thing as Greeley's. But as for me oh, and Dub Talk, we believe. And anyway, moving on now. <laughs> We we're getting close to the end here, ladies and gentlemen. We next n- next up on our document is uh, the essentially right hand. I want to say right hand man. She's the right hand girl to our lieutenant. She is. Yeah, you can just call her the sidekick. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sidekick, whatever. Sidekick, <laughs> right hand woman. I don't care. She is Corporal Victoria Ivanova Serebrakov, aka Vishia. I, mm-hmm. I'm buying you two beers now. You better buy me three. <laughs> <laughs> Done. They have to be German beers now. You get, you get him some uh, some Heineken. Honestly, I, I well so that last I name I, I could be wrong, but I think it's actually Russian. Her. Uh, yeah, it uh, is. It is kind of Russian, but yeah. Yeah. So I I'll, I'm gonna buy you a German beer, a Russian beer, and just to top it off, a, a dirty Girl Scout. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, the the drink or Yes. Yeah, don't no okay. don't go any further. Don't go any further. Speaking of dirty okay. girl scouts, do we have Oh wow. <laughs> okay, okay. Hold up, hold up. We gotta talk about her first. Jesus. What is wrong with you, Noah? I have been around me too much. I, if the actor it. who plays her ever hears this, man, you're gonna be in some deep shit. Know that. He was talking about the character, not the actress. Either way, Victoria Sribukov is the right hand to our lieutenant. Kind of an airhead. But she yeah, needs She well. looks kind of like a diglet from the neck down. Neck <laughs> <up>. <laughs> you got that meme I sent you, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, 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 she's a diglet with dumplings. 
Diglett with duck lips, who somehow the double talk Twitch chat deemed her potato face, <laughs> which is ironic considering a certain scene from another show the actress plays. <laughs> but more on that later. Yeah, she's kind of an airhead. Also serves as a kind of a comic foil to Tanya. I guess the part of the karma, if you will, from being X, if you've ever seen the fourth episode. <laughs> so, gentlemen, any predictions for Victoria? I had two, actually. Uh, one, I was a long shot, but uh, I... Um, I kind of wanted to see Lucy Christian play this role because she's played a lot of wide-eyed, ditzy uh, characters so similar to Victoria. The other one was based purely cosmetic because she looks like Hanamaru from Love Live Sunshine. Yeah. So my other one was Megan Shipman. Funny story. I also had Megan Shipman. I also had two more. I, I feel bad for this because I also based it on the character design because I thought she too was a little girl. And then I found out something later on, which I'd rather not say, because it makes me look a little like a pervert. But I al oh, but I also sick. had uh, Jade Saxton and Joe Harris. Ah, okay. Well, okay. Uh, as for me, like I said before, I was making this entirely on Sayu names. And since the Sayu for her was Sayori Hayami, uh, when I think of Sayori Hayami in front of Asia, the person who immediately comes to mind for me is, of course, Felicia Anjo. Somehow because, I, so I could see that. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't even look up that <laughs> Somehow I thought you were going to say Brina Palencia, but that's just me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been way out of... I mean, that would have been... Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah, that would have been out there for me. That would have been up there. That would have been I like mean, pursue you for this year. I mean, you have seen Snow White with the red hair, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> anyway, how about you, Noah? I have. I'm kind of surprised that no one else thought of this one, but maybe um, I went with the uh, the person who could play all the sides of Victoria, being she has to be a bit of an airhead, but there are times where she's serious as well. And then, of course, I think her role in the show is actually supposed to be the potential Yuri fan bait person. And because of voice typecasting, I grabbed Brittany Karbowski out of the clouds and put her on the cast list. <laughs> and, that could work. I uh, could see it happen. Yeah, I could see that too. I could see that happen. And of course, in usual tradition, we are all wrong, gentlemen. Every single one of you. Oh, good God. Who is actually playing Victoria is Jeannie Torado. Now, if you do not know who she is, other work she's a, she have, other work she has been in, she has been in. Is she's Umino and All Out. She's Teru Sakurada from Castletown Dandelion. She's Icon Barakamon, Mashiro in Chaos Dragon, Zera in Fairy Tale Zero, another one we can't talk about yet. She's Kai Serenuma from Kiss Him Not Me. She's Rico from Love Life Sunshine. Speaking of Love Life Sunshine, Hardy. She's mm -hmm. Yukari from Luck and Logic. She's Koala from One Piece. Takako from Orange. Chizuru from Real Life. She's Hakuya from Shomin Sample. She's Hundreko from Show by Rock. And she's Futaba Odagiri from Three Leaves, Three Colors. Now, what do we think of Jeannie Torado as Victoria? I remember many, many episodes ago 
in the far off past when we covered fairy tale zero yeah I, yeah i was hoping you'd bring that up because i know what you're thinking and i if you remember fine listeners that episode i had no good words to say about her role as zara in that episode because i did not care for it and i thought this is a newbie who needs a lot more practice if she's ever going to get up to the high echelon of voice actors luckily she did get there and in my notes for her performance in this role i wrote dot 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 i like it i like i like the variety she brings to it because she plays all the flavors of victoria and it's not grating and makes me want to chisel my brain out yeah i kind of thought the same thing when i saw the character design i thought she was the same age as tanya to which i remember fairy tale zero and i was like i could not really pass judgment on it but i remember you didn't like it and i was a little worried that she might go a little more way even though she's gotten a lot better now but ever since three leaves three colors i've started to get accustomed to her voice and uh watching the listening to the seiyu to sayori and watching this role i'm like yeah that's a genie role because i now realize she also plays tends to play a lot of brunette characters too and uh kind of age appropriate i think she the character looks to be more than 13 for obvious reasons but that's neither here nor there it's never established what her age is but we see a lot of the characters standing next to each other in the first episode and noticeably she's shorter than everybody else so yeah i think you're right in assuming she's probably in her teenage years yeah so uh, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Honestly, you know, as far it's not my favorite genie Tarada role. That would have to go to Kaiser Anuma from Kiss It Not Me because, you know, freaky ju- Fujoshi freakouts are so entertaining to watch. Yeah. But yeah, I think she did fine. Um, yeah. I do like to see, I do like that genie is getting more roles that she's sort of uh, building her repertoire. And I've always thought that she sounds sort of like she's always reminded me a bit of the Fruits Basket era Laura Bailey. And it's it's more prevalent in more in role in certain roles over others. But uh, but yeah, I think I like it. I think it's good. And how about you, Jet? Uh, well I first heard her like way back in the olden days of Grimgar and I thought she was pretty good at that and she's gotten better in pretty much everything I've heard her in since. And uh, she was great here too. So, we are nearing the home stretch, gentlemen. We are moving on to the creme de la creme, the oh, top boy. of the top. All right, the gloves. Uh, boys, get your on. guns out. <laughs> <laughs> this is Yojo Senki. This is Saga of Tanya de Gurachaf, the evil. And if you have not been following the show up to a point, she is the most sadistic, conniving, most laid back bitchy gen no lieutenant i have ever ever seen and apparently apparently she's also a nine-year-old girl who is very good with have with the powers of a mage that kind of surprises me but given her past history yeah this bitch got what she deserved every (laughs) single fucking minute of it and it keeps getting worse as the episodes go on. Oh joy! <laughs> Her situation. Yeah. I have words. I have words to say about that after the at, near the end of the episode. What I want to bring up. Yeah, same here. 
Okay, mm -hmm. boys. Do we have any predictions for I think, Tanya I the I think bitch? every single one of us had the same one, and it, we made it as soon as we saw the character's face. Un I yeah. Uh, I'm not sure, actually, but... Uh... Uh, unfortunately, I did not have who you think in, in particular, but I can't, I, I'm going to go first. Because I went along the same spectrum with my predictions because, you know, Tanya mm -hmm. looks moey, but deep down inside, she's anything but. Anything but. Except Ugh. for the end of episode two. Well, yeah, but, you know, she was playing that up because, you know, she had to. That's, so, that's right, because the staff so, said we need one role. Which so, because of my for the format, I had to narrow it down to three picks. One being Skylar McIntosh because of Izetta, and I wanted to see her portray an evil version. Yes, I know you hate the character, Jet, but... <laughs> but here's the thing, here's the thing. As Andrew said, new actors are not bad actors. They just need good direction, but, and I mean, geez, and Kyle good. Phillips. Oh. Kyle Phillips tends to be hit or miss. There are my, bad actors. I yeah. totally disagree with that comment. Shut up. Yeah. My my other two, one is Jill Harris, and uh, anybody want to take a guess on my last prediction? First off, that was fucking stupid. Yes, yes, is Brene Paul because here's the thing. Tanya is blonde hair, blue eyes, porcelain skin. Same thing with Bryn. I thought that maybe she could play her almost 1-1, one -one, to which I have in quotes, go full fucking PMS, girl. <laughs> Unfortunately, this was before I learned she was nine years old. <laughs> now, see, you're going to be in trouble if Bryn listens to this episode. <laughs> but at least she, but at least she'll understand my sentiment. Unfortunately, she plays another blonde girl who she is more in tune with. But that's yeah. for another. Well, we episode. can't talk about it yet. But that's another episode. Right. Okay. Jet, did you have any predictions for Tanya? Okay. Yes, I did. I had one. Okay. So I'm pretty familiar with her Japanese actress Aoi Yuki. And uh, she usually has kind of a very distinct, kind of, like, really rough quality to her voice that sounds pretty different from the usual Moe little girl characters. Uh, so when I was thinking of who would be a good match for that, uh, the name that immediately came into my mind was Jad Saxton. Uh, because he also kind of has a really kind of rough, kind of rough voice when she does really young characters. And uh, she started to take a new kind of commanding figures when she did uh, Joan of Arc and Race of Bahamu. So I figured this would be a pretty good fan movie. It would be kind of interesting to see her do evil. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Hardy, how about you? Well, my initial reaction was go to default, and default actually was correct. Um, and uh, But I'll get back to that later. I also went ahead and picked two others who I thought could play the character well. Um, and those were, first off, Allison Victorin. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh. No, not us. What is wrong with you? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to take a little breather here for a second because I can't comprehend that. I, I just... 
I don't know. It's just I would like to hear her play a little devious little uh, terrible person. And this, I think I've heard her do that before. I just can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, I think she played roles similar to that in Michiko and Hachin, actually. Yes. But, uh, yeah. And the other choice that I had was Sarah Wiedenheft. Because we have not yet heard her just be a devious little witch. Uh, I think she might have played villains already, but I want to hear her just go... You know, full like like Brit April did in We Cross, just go full devious. Yeah, thanks for t- f- thanks for the heads up. By the way, I didn't know she went crazy in We Cross because I started it, but I didn't finish. Mm-hmm. I gotta go back and finish. Okay. Yeah. N- yeah, it was one of my favorite performances of the last year. Yeah, man. Okay, Noah, how about you? In the same camp with Hardy, in that I went to default. It was also correct, and my notes on this, of course, says uh, the person's like. If it's anyone else, I'm going to be really surprised. Okay, then. So, gentlemen, would that's actually Noah. Would you like to tell me who is voicing Tanya DeGurachoff? Live from the Texas studio audience, it is the woman who has been putting male little boy actors out of work since the 90s. She has played crazy, sadistic, insane, sometimes lovable, but most of the time just a little off her rocker roles. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the one and only Monica Rial. Oh joy! <laughs> the only one who could pull this off. And okay, and if you do not know who Monica Rial is, do you even anime, bro? <laughs> she has been around obviously not. Before you, some of you were born. Oh, good God! Some of you, some of you Th- are really young. Thank God I typed a short <laughs> list for this. If you do not know who Monica Rial is, she is Boma in Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball Super. She is Mei Rin in the Black Butler franchise. She is Sonic the Monkey from Blood Blockade Battlefront. She's Cordelia from Diabolic Lovers. Easy from Drifters. Maya from Princess Jellyfish. She is Cool Tepish from Self of the End. She is... Oh joy, Anna Nishikinomiya from Shimaneta. She is Moa from Show by, Wa- Show by Rock. Umihibi from Snow White with the Red Hair. Suyu Asui from My Hero Academia. Ribbit. Oh good god. She- this was just recently announced. She is Charlotte Schausen from Valkyrie Drive Mermaid. Oh, <laughs> oh. oh joy. <laughs> She is Yona from Yona of the Dawn, Mila Babicheva from Yuri on Ice, and Ginko Yurishiro from Yurikuma Arashi. I am stumbling over my own words here. Now, I'm sorry if you mentioned it already, but I think the one role that she's already played before that reminded me the most of this was Kayade in Assassination Classroom. Yes. Right. This, this, uh, specifically the second half of the show, if you haven't seen the second yeah. half yet. Spoilers for Assassination Classroom, yes, by please. the way. You'll, you should have watched it by then, anyway. Honestly, but, you should yeah. have. Buy the limited edition <laughs> yeah. box so, set at right Yes, yes, I quit shilling yourself. <laughs> Need we say how we feel about Monica as Tanya de Gurachoff? Uh, so Monica Real's performance here is pretty much what we've come to expect of Monica Real at this point. Meaning it's pretty good. Uh, that said, there are a couple of moments where I feel it's a little bit thrown in. And if I'm being honest, I think her pitch for Tanya's natural speaking voice is kind of a little bit too deep for me, but 
for the most part, it's a pretty fine performance, and given that he pretty much has to carry the show by herself, I kind of understand why Jeremy had been inside the killer for her, since, hey, it's Monica Leo, and she's very reliable. Yeah, I'm going to go last, because I'm going to end up a little long-winded on this. Hardy, do you have any opinions on this role? Yeah, yes, I did. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, talking about the director, I think there are times to where it her delivery is a bit on the stiff side. That might just be uh, Tanya being militaristic and just, yeah. And... Um, my what I what it really gets good is when Tanya is having her arguments with Ming X, and when Tanya is having her inner monologues, and when Tanya is just going absolutely out of her sanity, nutball crazy. That's when Monica really shines through. And here's the thing: I know Jet brought it up that her voice sounds a bit too deep for a ten-year-old. I think it's done that way on purpose because we know Tanya isn't actually ten. She's a middle-aged salary man from Japan. And when she has to speak, she would speak in much more mature than her actual age. That is what I that's what the what I got from it. I like this performance a lot. It's one of my favorites so far this year. But when Tanya Tanya has her moments, she does have her stiff moments, but generally I really enjoy it. Okay, Noah. Tanya is I don't think she's evil yet as the titles uh, predated because she is trying to be higher up in the military keep in mind that she's not just fighting because she hates the enemies we as the audience don't even know the enemy very well that they're fighting against she is just trying to rise to the ranks get promoted and get a nice cushy safe job so that she can get back to the life she knew that being uh business low risk high reward mentality that is her end goal so that a, yeah that's a good thought to have because i'm gonna mention that at the end of the show as for me uh I, I mean it's monica real how can you really go wrong except this um of course monica does tend to be more because this is actually closer to actual voice I do see her at times when she's being condescending, but that's really in her big girl voice. I do think it's a combination of the two. But this, again, goes back to Jeremy Inman's uh, director. I can't tell if he was just playing it safe here or if he decided to be a little risky. Because, like I said, Tanya is anything but Moe. Like, you know, given her real mm. personality, what we really know her to be as, I, I, can't, I can't tell if it's a risky choice or if it's a safe choice. I would call it a reliable choice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? Considering the dub, I'll take that over the Seiyuu, because to be completely honest, I hated the Seiyuu's performance. I disagree pretty strongly. No, because here's the thing. Like, I do expect a little bit of Moe because it's a nine-year-old girl, even though she's acted anything but Moe. Again, because we know the real personality. But for the love of God, it sounds a little too squeaky for my liking, man. Like, ugh. It's too archetypal. I'll agree with you. The Japanese plays it it's uh, very too, similar it's... to another elementary school uh, character in a different show, which we'll talk about at a future episode. Yeah, it's too archetypal. It's too high-pitched. And given the context of the character, it was not really necessary. Like, honestly, no, no, like, honestly, I think it kind of works for me because it kind of creates like this weird dissonance where you're hearing that voice 
but but where you're hearing but, that voice yeah. and you're hearing all this carry out of it. But where really, is, the, sorry, so go ahead. Yeah, so, uh, so, uh, which is why I cut out a little bit of a problem with Monica Rios, like that speaking voice, which I did. But I find yeah. whereas within the Seiyu, <laughs> where it really does come into play is, uh, I think it's episode five or six, when they're invading another nation and she just plays up the Moe voice to lure the soldiers into a false sense of security before dropping bombs on them. In the aspect of the Seiyu, I can understand that. Fun fact, the Seiyu is also the singer of the ending, which I really liked. And, you know, there's no way combating that. I just think when it comes to Tanya, I do like Monica better in this role. I was going to say, the only reason that we may, that some viewers may find it to be too safe is just that they're so used to Monica at this point. It's You'll recognize her as soon as you hear her, if you've heard her in anything else before. But if you can just forget all the other roles she's ever played before, this is a perfectly pitch-perfect fit. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, like, I'm not complaining, man. I mean, like, Monica Rill did everything, but she did everything because she's good. So... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, nearing the finish line, overall thoughts on the dub, gentlemen? I think it, uh, if it keeps up its pace and steadily keeps improving, because it has done that. Since I, I did admit I found episode one to be rather stiff, but at f concurrent episodes have considerably have gotten better consistently. And so, if it keeps improving on at this rate. Uh, we could really have a really strong dub on our hands. Yeah, the pacing is a little weird. I mean, you had to watch episode two and three to get the context of one because, and that's another thing too with the writing because in the sub, there was kind of a little bit of foreshadowing with Tanya's character. Like she talks about like is she loses her chances to be a salaryman if she keeps losing soldiers. I did not get that at all in the dub, so that was kind of changed up. Yeah, it was. Mm -hmm. And it, I think uh, maybe if you did catch that line, you would have just thought, oh, the, the writers just threw that in and the subtitlers, like, that doesn't mean anything. That's just like, they couldn't think of a better term to use. Yeah. As for the directing and writing, like, the directing is, like I said, is for the most part solid. Like, he does tend to, because I've seen real life and Jeremy tends to coax some, uh, some unique performances out of some really safe characters, like, if you ever listen to Josh in real life, you will understand why. Now, as for the writing, like I said, it does stay a bit too loyal to the uh, to the story. Not to the subtitles, to the actual story of the show. Because, again, like with I said, it felt... Because this feels more like a period piece than what it really is when you get down into it. But I think for... It's a black... It has elements of black comedy, actually. Yeah. Like, there are times... We're not meant to root for Tanya. And this yeah. is what I wanted to bring up. Um, it almost reminds me of It's Always Sunny in, in Philadelphia, if you can believe it. Because our main character is absolutely despicable. She is a rotten human being. And we do not want to see her... We, we take pleasure in seeing her get her comeuppance. Kind of like the characters on It's Always Sunny. We don't root for the gang. We like it when the gang gets in trouble. We like seeing the gang fail. And so Tanya is such an evil, heartless person that whenever something bad happens to her, we get sort of a sadistic glee, like a feeling of schadenfreude, as it were. So, yeah. yeah. I, I, I usually... I, I'm sorry. I usually don't like villain protagonists like 
I'm one of the few people who don't like Death Note, um, I, like at all, because I despise Light and I do not want to see him win. And it's, but I like this show because our villain protagonist frequently gets screwed over by God himself all the time. Okay, and speaking of that, now you mentioned that, that's another thing with this show too, because it's called Saga of Tanya the Evil, but at most times it seems like Tanya the Laid Back. I think it's only, <laughs> it's no, here's the thing, it's really evil when you get into the battles, because, you know, she tends to go all out crazy or just push her soldiers yeah. to the very brink, but I say it's also the laid back because it's kind of evil in a corporate sense, again, given the context of the character, and how she just pretty much, like, just wants to, you know, try to avoid the front lines as much as possible while reaping the benefits of war. So there's that. Yeah, so I really hope that, oh shit, I was going to say, I really hope the pacing, they do pace it very well. And then I just remembered, I found out today, they're going to air a recap episode next, this week. <sighs> Instead of episode seven. Womp womp. But that'd be a good beginning, but that'd be a good beginning if you've never seen the series before, you know, just save yourself the, chew the fat, if you will. No, no, I, I, I can't condone uh, recap episodes, even right. even if you're just catching up. Oh, nuts. <laughs> <laughs> no! Full circle. Anyway, Jet, what are your final thoughts on the show? Okay, uh, Tanya is an interesting little show. I mean, I came into it assuming there's going to be war and darkness and, like, uh, Nazi stuff. Uh, but it seems pretty self-aware that Todd is a jerk, and it's clearly either going to make some kind of big moral statement. Exactly what kind of statement it's trying to make, I don't know yet, and I don't think anyone really knows. Uh, oh. but, I, but I'm pretty curious to find out, and it's a pretty entertaining ride in the meantime, so uh, I'll stick to it with it. Uh, so I'll stick to it till the end. Okay, then. I think we've pretty much reached the end of this episode. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry, I just had something stuck in my throat there. But since you mentioned it, I'm glad you brought up the the moral uh, jet because that that is a contentious point indeed. And we've gone through all the parts about the history of the time period and is Tanya evil and blah 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 blah. But the thing is that this, I don't think that the writers themselves even knew what moral they were going for here because the story blends a Christian god or a kind of a christian god like one who demands to be worshipped kind of like old testament god and blends it with the buddhist notion of reincarnation and it it clashes so heavily with both of those mentalities that i don't think that the person who wrote this is a very smart human being it's like they were in a history class about world war ii while they were reading their favorite light novels and thought i'm gonna write a fanfic where i'm god and i send someone back in time to world war ii with magic and reincarnation and lolis. Gotta have lolis in there. Yeah. <laughs> so I, whatever moral you can get out of this here, it feels like they're pushing the moral of it's better to be humble and appreciate your creator or it, like the things out of your control than it is to reap the benefits of a society that rewards being not even laid back, just like very utilitarian. And I don't approve of that at all. Like, yeah, the Tanya male person is a horrible business person, but they're an understandable kind of business person. They are not a light Yagami that badly yet. Like, I'll agree with Hardy. I didn't want light to win, 
but they're not trying to fix the ways of the world. They're just looking out for number one. And can we honestly say that we haven't ourselves just kind of looked out for number one every once in a while? Yeah. We we yeah. have, but we're not supposed to. Correct. <laughs> and the show, and yeah. if the show wanted to um, discourage people from being that selfish, that's okay. But the way it does it by saying that you should pray to God that... Here's the thing on that, like... I'm not entirely sure if it's like I'm not entirely sure if it's really going to lead to her having to humble herself to God. It's Stockholm like, syndrome. Like, so, like, so, okay, like like it's it might like it might go that route, but it might also just go, but it might also go the route of her just kind of finding her own beliefs that aren't necessarily tied to that, but beliefs that also are tied to her just going to be laid back or whatever. Well, the, the, the whole notion of... Um, okay, old, gentlemen, I'm only giving you 20 seconds more for this rant. Nothing more. <laughs> it's not even Go. a rant. This is a, a round table discussion. It's not even a rant. This is a discussion. Thank you. Jam, do you have... Uh, Jam, you must have some ph- philosophical takeaway from the way that this god has decided to punish, in quotation marks, Tanya. Yes, because, you know, what goes around comes around. I mean, karma is a bitch, essentially. Uh, yeah, it is, but to... you're trying to teach a lesson here. Like, the... if you're trying to teach someone a lesson, teach them a lesson by putting them. Yes, in the the setting that God put Tanya in is is all well and good. But the whole moral of this the moral of this wrap things up. Moral of the story is don't be a dick. Yeah, don't be a dick. <laughs> exactly. And, and yeah. Thank you very too. much. God, don't be a dick. <laughs> Okay. I'm sorry, I know I'm going to Tartarus after this, but yeah, deities and humans alike, don't be a dick. That's the oh, takeaway. for the from... love of God, man. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. our updated golden rule. <laughs> yes. Don't be a dick. Yeah. Because they say the original golden rule was treat others the way you want to be treated, which yes. is all fine and good until you come across a masochist. And, <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, because they like being treated poorly. But yeah, just don't be a dick. Well, now we it's... know what Hardy does on Saturday nights. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we've approached the end of this show. So if you were interested in seeing the dub for Tiny the Evil, it is currently streaming on the Funimation Now service with new episodes on Monday night at 10 p.m. Eastern. The first two episodes are available for free, but the rest are behind a subscriber paywall, which, if you are interested in subscribing, they do have a 14-day free trial you can use to watch the simuldubs for this season, any other season, or any home video releases currently streaming. But fair warning. If you don't like the service or don't want to continue after the 14 days are up, make sure to cancel as soon as possible since a credit card is required and they will start pointing money from your account. As for the show itself, the simulcast can be found on Crunchyroll as part of the Funny Roll Partnership. Let the good times roll, funny. With new episodes airing every Saturday morning at 2am. You can watch with or without a subscription. Just know with our subscription, there will be ads and the latest episode will be a week behind under, under the subscriber paywall. And uh, one more thing. Guys, for the love of God, if you can afford a Baconator cheeseburger combo at Wendy's, you can pay that much a month for anime. Because for the love of God, don't pirate anime. Otherwise, being X is going to put you in the same situation Tanya is. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah
I, okay. They don't pay us to say that, folks. We're just that devoted to getting legal anime. In Very devoted. <laughs> Hopelessly devoted. Anyway, if you're interested in seeing any of us and the shenanigans we get up to, gentlemen, go ahead and plug yourselves. Oh my. Shut up, Hardy. <laughs> I guess I'll go first. You, I'm Spaceman Hardy. Uh, I uh, helped start this little shindig almost two years ago, if you can believe this. Um, you can find me. I'm a moderator over at the Funimation.com forums. Uh, come by and say hi. Get into good discussions. We're going to be starting up our territory our character tournaments again very soon with the best character of 2016 tournament. So if you haven't yet, come on by and fill out your nominations. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Spaceman Hardy. I post a lot of goat pictures, food porn, rant about Final Fantasy and Antiplex almost constantly, and just generally be a complete grumpy butthole. So, yeah. Yeah, I forgot it's a two-year anniversary. At least it's a better anniversary than... What happened on the double talk double talk Twitch stream last night? <laughs> oh my god! All right, Jet. Okay, I'm Jet. You can find me on Twitter at Jarrett Infinity. Uh, I run my own blog where I occasionally write things called Animation Infinity, and I sometimes write things for the members. But I'm usually on Twitter ranting about anime or cartoons or other things. <laughs> Okay, and Noah. <laughs> and I am Noah Clue, and I usually can also be found on Twitter at Noah Clue, and occasionally I also have my own YouTube channel, which is Journey Traveler, where I like to talk about real cartoons, those being the ones from the Western world, where, uh, you know, uh, we have much more sophisticated tastes than your uh, Japanese cartoons, you say right now. Or also talking about. Uh, voice actors on voice actor shout out or anything else that I decided to do to get you people to watch real cartoons once in a while. As for me, I'm part-time editor for this channel. I can be found on my other channel, Jamstar One. Not really doing much at the moment. I do have a blog, but right now it's collecting tumbleweeds in terms of content. I am also a Mooney and I'm planning something special for an anniversary coming up. In the meantime, you can catch me on Twitter at Jamstar529. And I believe that's it, gentlemen. Uh, I do, I do believe in terms of episodes coming up. I think it's gonna be, is it? I think it's interviews with Monster Girls recording next, or either that or Fuka. Monster Girls is is tomorrow. Fuka is Saturday. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And I don't know. And I think we're doing one for Dragon Maid too. I don't know when it's recorded. That one is going to be sometime next week because we wanted to wait till episode four had come out. Okay. Gotcha. Okay, then. So, from all of us here at Dub Talk, Noah, Jet, Hardy, and myself, we wish you a good night. And Otaku on. Oh, Keep ha. it manly.